UCLA football is off to a 3-0 start in 2022, but it's not exactly an awe-inspiring 3-0 start. Let's go. We're locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why, if you have not already, like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. A big thank you to all of you out there, whom I greatly appreciate Having done so already, today's episode brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Those of you watching on YouTube can see I am not alone. I'm joined by Zach Anderson Yoxheimer. He is the radio voice of the Cal Poly Mustangs and the host of Locked On UCLA. Zach, it is great to talk to you, man, because the Bruins are uh, off to uh, an interesting start here in, in, in 2022, as, as we'll get to. Yeah, it's uh, if you thought three and zero was going to happen, maybe the worst possible way it could. Yeah, that that's kind of where where I want to begin with the Bruins because I was high on them coming into this year, and my preseason prediction for their win total was ten wins. And part of the reason that I felt that way is because of the schedule, right? Michigan backed out, so they're playing Alabama State instead of Michigan. <laughs> like that, that's a pretty it, it, so not all records are created equal, right? You are not what your record says you are in college football. UCLA is kind of the perfect example of that. They got through it. They avoided disaster. They needed a game-winning field goal on Saturday at home against South Alabama as uh, more than two-touchdown favorite. They only opened as a 12-point favorite, which I thought was surprising, but turns out Vegas knew what they were doing. Go figure. What do you make so far uh, of UCLA's really slow three and oh start because they played a bad half against bowling green and they played just an all-around poor game allowing south alabama to hang around and very nearly pull the upset what's been your takeaway through three weeks well being at that bowling green game they played extremely sloppy and it was extremely hot and they still walked away with the big dub and you know very sloppy special teams was the crux of their issue week one so if you go from week one to what saved them in week three you see some growth special teams wise you see the defense, you see numbers, as you mentioned, your record is, isn't always what you say it is in college football. Look at the defensive statistics. They haven't given up a point in the fourth quarter. They're outscoring teams by about 40 in the second half, but that's against very less than stellar competition other than maybe South Alabama, who's a pretty, you know, equal foe to UCLA on Saturday. Well, we will have to say that I expected it to be very close, even though it was a two touchdown game and the Bruins made it closer than most people would like. I wouldn't say impressive, but Hey, Zach Charbonnet is clearly not 100%. DTR has that weird pull game against Alabama State, comes back, plays a pretty efficient game, so to speak, against South Alabama, but nothing to be excited about so far for the Bruins. But they're undefeated, and you can only get better from here. That's the hope, right? Yeah, and that's certainly the upside, is it can only get better. It, it should only get better. I think Chip Kelly's job security might very well be in trouble if it does not, because the conference schedule is also pretty favorable for them, right? They have to go at Oregon, but they get UCLA at home and they get USC at home. And, you know, those are your three toughest games and you only have to play uh, one of them 
away from, I won't say cozy confines of the Rose Bowl, <laughs> but I think it's just a positive that those games are not on the road rather than, you know, them actually being at home and that being a, a net positive. The attendance for UCLA has been really low so far. Do you attribute that to the caliber of competition that's been coming through? Because I remember a decent crowd for then 16th ranked LSU a season ago. Do you think UCLA fans are just kind of in that mindset of let's wait until somebody legitimate comes to town? I mean, if you think about that LSU game, I'm pretty sure there were still tarps in the Rose Bowl. It wasn't completely full. If it says 60,000, that's still 20,000 empty seats in the Rose Bowl. And that's sad that we think that's a, a pretty big crowd for the Rose Bowl. I remember the days when it was 80,000, 88,000. Of course, the Rose Bowl used to host over 100,000. used to be one of the biggest stadiums in terms of seating capacity in the world. It's now about 88,000, 90,000. And I think there's been a slow, obvious decline with Chip Kelly. But I'm not sure if we've truly recovered in UCLA football since COVID with people wanting to go back to the Rose Bowl. They haven't made that their thing. And then UCLA football hasn't had that big name. You don't have that Michigan game. But even though that LSU game last year had a quote-unquote big crowd, there was still a tarp covering a portion of the field. So it, it still hasn't, even with the big name like LSU, they're not getting 60,000. But even then in the Rose Bowl, that's not a truly impressive number. That would be what should be a bad number. Instead, we've seen it can only go lower, that bowling green. You talk about cozy confines, very cozy, despite it being 100 billion degrees. In terms of yeah. seating, leg room, there's everything. But for the Bruins, it's been the names, I think. And the most recent episode for Locked on UCLA, I talked about their next three home games are all very name brand or big games. Washington, who's ranked and looked good, they're coming to town prime time after the Bruins should be. Four, no, that's their first test. Utah at home, and then Stanford. And Stanford tends to get a couple more just because the Bruins have failed to beat them mostly over the last decade. So those are three games I think that should draw names with SC coming as well at the end of the home schedule. Yeah, and the Rose Bowl is such a big stadium that optically it always looks worse than it is. And part of the reason is because you see these SEC Big Ten stadiums, you know, the Big House, LSU, Death Valley, the Swamp. They have these humongous arenas to play to play football in these phenomenal venues and they do fill them up but that's just never been the sort of energy that's been around the UCLA football program is at least as long as I've been following it if they could put together the money and I I don't know that they could frankly I think it'd be worth it to have a stadium on campus that's just I don't know 40 45,000 seats you know capacity and whatnot because the optics when you come on TV for a wide shot and there's hardly anybody there. It's hard to get people excited about uh, about your program down there in Los Angeles, especially when USC has got things humming right now with uh, Lincoln Riley. But going forward for UCLA, Zach, what, what do you think the Bruins need to do to play more up to their potential that people like me had hopes for them coming into this season? I mean, hey, we, we all had high, high hopes. We saw the Bruins were a machine at the end of 2021. They laid down the beatdown on SC in the Coliseum, of course, different regime then. They were riding high going into the bowl game against NC State. Then that game gets cut, and you're like, okay, that's a weird ending to what could have been a good end to the 2021 season. You come out to 2022, and the Bruins somehow lay an egg in every game, and yet they still also get wins, which is what you can do against a very weak non-conference schedule. And you just play who's in front of you, these schedules for the most part, except these this year and next year, made years in advance. 
Bruins get the win. And I'd like to see the Bruins get Charbonnet going, hopefully healthy. I saw something out of practice the other day. Game time decision, possibly against Colorado, a team that is terrible so far defending against the run. So for whatever it's worth, the Bruins need to get the run game going in an impressive fashion, a dominant fashion. And offensively, I'd like to see more red zone efficiency. They haven't been the most red zone efficient offense. They're 11 of 19 when they get to the red zone and scoring touchdowns. And that's against opponents that you should be scoring touchdowns at will against, at least in my mind. So they need to be efficient offensively. And as I've mentioned before, my podcast, when it comes to defense, a little more opportunistic. They're banged up on the D-line. They do have six sacks on this season, but it's only getting tougher with bigger, better offensive linemen down the stretch by opponents. Yeah, and the slow starts have have been a problem for them. And I just look at the team and say, maybe they're playing down to their competition, right? Maybe they're seeing and sensing the opponent. And you can, you know, coaches can talk all they want about, no, we're getting ready. We're not treating it any differently or anything of the sorts or whatnot. The guys know. The, the guys see the name on the schedule, and maybe it's hard to get up for them. And I think that's where you have to be thinking if you're an optimistic Bruins fan, is in that mindset of once Pac-12 play begins, okay, they start to really step it up a level. And you've worked out the kinks for the, the first few games, and they should be firing on, uh, on all cylinders in that sense. I want to ask you about the matchup with uh, Colorado that is uh, looming this week. UCLA, big road favorites there. But if you want more energy to counter the negative physical effects of aging, Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testafin will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get you better results at the gym, and help you look like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total T contains man-boosting key ingredients like Testafin. It's been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. While every product professes quality, many other products use generic ingredients that are often far less than clinical grade, but that is not the case with Nugenics. You can get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T when you text COLLEGE to 231231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast and absolutely free. Text COLLEGE to 231231. That's COLLEGE to 231 231 to get your free complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. Terms and conditions apply. So, Zach, how are you feeling going into this matchup with uh, Colorado, a team that has struggled? We'll, well put it gently so far. Like, like what, what are your expectations, and, and how do you see the game playing out? I know we're, we're, we're going to get to Pac-12 head coaches and who's there and who's not. Well, one would say Carl Durrell had the, you know, if you wanted to put money on it, we would have thought Carl Durrell would have been the first to go, I think. But he's still there. His job's still secure. And for now, and the Bruins could put the final nail in the proverbial coffin against their former head coach years ago, Carl Durrell. And for the Bruins, I they should win. Every time I sit there and I want to put down a podcast, I want to talk about it, they should be putting up big points. And again, every game they've played, they've put up 32 or more. 245-point performances. But against Colorado, I think the game will be a little closer. It's their first road game of the year. And regardless of who your opponent is, it's their first road game. They've gotten used to this routine, regardless of how many people show up to the Rose Bowl. They've got home games. They bust down. And what is it? Three of their games have all kicked off 11.30 or earlier Pacific time. So they're, they're welcome in this time slot, even though they're going to Colorado. So it'll be like noon local time there. The Bruins should handle this easily. 
it, it'll be interesting to see how Charbonnet is used. That's a big key for me. And hopefully it doesn't have to be used too much, but I want to see him explosive and effective if he can be. The defense, I think, will give up their first fourth quarter score of the season, but not because it's close, but because they're dominating late. But the Bruins have shown that they maybe aren't as talented as we thought. There's not as much of a vertical threat in the wide receiver game to this point. And I'd like to see the Bruins vertically go down the field in the passing game, something they haven't shown thus far in the season. Yeah, and I, I think as a three-touchdown road favorite, it's telling to where Colorado's season is going. But it's a chance for UCLA to, again, try to build momentum into those matchups that that, that, that you mentioned, right, that are coming at home. Washington looks really, really good, and they, they've righted the ship in, in one season, it seems, with Kalen DeBoer. And that's a team that you can't come out and get off to a slow start. Your defense can't be incredibly porous as, as the game goes on. You have to be able to play a good football game to to beat the Huskies right now. And uh, I, I think that they've got one more chance to kind of, you know, have that get right game. But going into that game against Washington, they better be 4-0. And if they're going to have a chance, I think they're going to need to feel confident. Let's go to another matchup in the Pac-12 uh, this week. And that's the biggest one, in my view, USC at Oregon State. A couple of undefeated teams, Trojans in the top 10, Beavers knocking on the door of the top 25. What are you looking for in, in this game when it comes to the, the keys that might ultimately decide it between the Trojans and, and the Beavers in Corvallis? Where we'd be remiss if we did not point out the Trojans as a program have lost in that city before. That's all I'll say. That's all yeah. I'm going to say, at least for now. That That is true. I know it's a shame that Research Stadium is still going under some renovations. Yeah, it is. So it would be an electric atmosphere if not other than that. I mean, it still will be fun. I remember watching that. They're going to be as loud as they can possibly be. I remember it's that just Boise a shame State that game. the capacity is limited for that game. I remember watching their opening game against Boise State for Oregon State, and it sounded awesome. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, wait, there's not a full. They're not allowed to have a full crowd. The renovations. They played their most recent game against Montana State in Portland. And Montana State, a very good FCS program, as, as you know, Spencer. And oh, yeah. Oregon State laid the beat down on them. So this is a very good Oregon State team who I was shocked went into Fresno and beat Fresno State. I thought the USC-Fresno State game would be more interesting. Of course, Hayner gets knocked out, gets banged up, and USC handles Fresno State so easily. I thought they, had, they were going to have a lot more trouble which is kind of scary saying that as a UCLA fan who can't seem to beat Fresno State in recent times. So this will be, a sh it's a shame it's on national television. There's various reasons for that. It should be, it should be on TV, even if it is at 8.30 Pacific time, it should be on some form of national television, all the betters hitting the late game, whatever it is. The My keys for this are, well, what's USC's defense going to do against Oregon State's offense. It's the big key is USC is going to put up points. They're going to move the football. That's always, that's the thing with Lincoln Riley. It's the defense that is the question mark. If Oregon State can control time of possession, control their own tempo, then I think they have a chance winning at home. But this is a USC team that's come out rocking and rolling. And if they avoid any type of turnovers, it's been an SC team that's been opportunistic defensively forcing turnovers, they could get a win on the road. Yeah, and the Trojans are favored by six and a half. I am going to continue to tease the continuous listeners of the show, whom I greatly uh, appreciate. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to save my predictions for that game uh, for tomorrow when we have on uh, Carter Baines of, of BeaverBlitz.com, senior writer and editor over there. And uh, we're going to be going through that one in detail because 
it's the biggest game of the weekend in the Pac-12, in my view. Oregon-Washington State should be a good game. Stanford and Washington could be intriguing. It doesn't have huge ramifications, but for each individual program, I think the most meaningful game on both sides is Cal and Arizona because they're both coming in two and one. And regardless of where those wins are coming, Arizona's got the more impressive schedule right now. But if Cal gets that win, maybe that team starts to feel a little bit more confident as you begin Pac-12 play. And for two teams that could very easily finish under 500 here in 2022, and I thought both would coming into the year, you have a chance to get that early momentum and have your guys playing with a higher level of confidence as you chase bowl eligibility. But I'm so with you on the beeves. Like the fact that it's not, it's the biggest game in the conference. It, yep. it is unquestionably the biggest game in the conference. I say that Cal and Arizona is the most important for both teams combined because of what it means respectively. And USC is expecting to win this game. But for Oregon state, this could be the signature win of Jonathan Smith's tenure since they beat USC in the Coliseum last year. And obviously that was not the same USC team. So this would be more significant in my view. But the fact that the Pac-12 has got this on the Pac-12 network and not like it's just we sound like broken records here, Zach. But man, this stuff keeps happening time and time again. And when we out here on the West Coast watch a big-time matchup in the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the SEC or even the ACC from time to time, do you ever watch the game and feel, oh, man, how come they're not showing this one? Like, it's always the game that you want to see. They just Mm -hmm. seem to do these things better. And I'm not sure if this was uh, planned before the season or prior contracts or if this was Klyovkov and company or what, but... I, I don't know how you can't sell the biggest West Coast brand with the biggest TV market to a network and say, we want to put USC at right. Forget Oregon State for a moment, who deserves their moment in the sun and the opportunity to show a national audience what they can do. But just from the Pac-12's perspective, you want to put USC on national TV as often as you can. I mean, they should be there basically every week. I'm sure there's some rules about, you know, how often you have to be on the Pac-12 network. But save that for when they're playing Colorado or when they're playing Rice or, you know, teams are going to beat by a bunch. This is a six and a half point spread. There's a history there in Corvallis between USC and Oregon State where upsets have been known to take place. You know the crowd is going to be as loud as they possibly can. I just can't fathom how you can't make that happen. How how can you not, whatever the situation is, you got to look at a game like this and say, that's our biggest game. We want to put our best product on a national TV network. I mean, it, it just sucks because, you, you know, when it comes to the Pac-12 network, I want to watch the game, live in some form of an area where the Pac-12 network should be available, and yet... UCLA, they live on the Pac-12 network, it seems like. So it's it's impossible to watch the games unless you use some shady side or if you're a little more techy. It's it just it just sucks because it's the thing that sucks for the Pac-12. It's just not available to a majority of the people. That's that's the problem. My my thought process. I mean, it's it's obvious. UCLA and SC they're leaving because of this very problem. That's that's the Pac-12 network. That is the reason why UCLA and SC. A lot of other things, the money, but because of the Pac-12 network itself is the reason why they're going to the Big Ten. And but the money, the, the money yeah. is tied to the network deals, right? And these sorts of situations that are capping your financial potential as a conference and on a team-by-team payout is part of the reason UCLA 
and USC looked at the Big Ten and said, well, that's a lot of money. Like, <laughs> let's let, let's go over there. And more exposure. And it's just, yes, SC, they somehow, I'm not sure how they don't bounce between every important national TV, whatever it is, whatever network they're, they're going on. And Oregon State, the, the UCLA-Washington game, that's been on national TV set since before this season. And maybe they didn't expect Oregon State to be this good, this fast, with impressive wins early. But they... It, I mean, it's the network's fault that they didn't choose that game. I think the Pac-12 is just saying, hey, well, we'll take that game. I'm not sure why anybody is not, but it just it just sucks for the Pac-12 as a whole that, that that game is not getting more respect on a TV side than it's being given at the moment. We are not standing for that here at Locked on Pac-12, Zach. We are no. not having it. We recognize how big that game is. And if you want to bet that game, you should turn to bet online in the number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news and podcasts, including this week's games and beyond. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball. Go Mariners, who need to figure it out. Stop making me worry. MMA boxing, my personal favorite golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online is where the game starts. We're closing today's show here with Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer of Locked On UCLA. Check him out on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts with uh, a discussion about the teams that are, shall we say, down on their luck at the moment and are having some tough times. That'd be Arizona State and Colorado. And let's begin with the Buffs, who are taking on your UCLA Bruins this week in Boulder. They had an electric atmosphere in week one against TCU because everyone's excited for the new season. I hope the fans show because it's tough to watch when a team is struggling and then the students don't show up as much and it just has a bad vibe and it's not fun. It's just, it's not fun to be in that space as a football program, but Colorado had a, a statement that was expressing support for Carl Durrell and the staff and the team and saying, Hey, continue to support them. The coaching or the coaching staff is not happy with this, but no one associated with the Colorado football program, can look at the situation right now and not be asking questions about Carl Durrell, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that statement, when it was released, we all thought, okay, everybody read it and said fired. And then, wait, wait oh, this is the same statement of support, which shocked. <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen that before. You release a statement of support with the team that has just looked so dreadful in the beginning. I mean, I was shocked that TCU went into Boulder in an opening game and just beat them down. It was just... They, they, they control that game. This is, I believe, last year, Colorado, I think against Texas A&M, almost had them beat at home against the top team in Texas A&M. I think their quarterback was third. I forget. But this is a team that was competing in recent years, and it's declined so much. The UCLA Bruins should not take them for granted this weekend, but this is a team that I think I saw for Colorado on social media that I think their fans are trying to stop other friends from boycotting just to support the team itself, not necessarily the head coach. But it, it it might be ugly in terms of fan support this weekend. I'm not sure in Boulder. But uh, we hope that the fans still give the, the student-athletes their support, even if Carl Durrell has, again, not proven it as a an FBS D1 college football coach in a Power 5 conference. But it's just, it, it's just sad to see how far it's come down. But it is shocking to see. We've seen all these other teams. We've seen Nebraska, ASU maybe for various different reasons. But these teams have pulled the trigger already. I would have th thought no, 
Colorado would have their coach, Carl Durrell, would be fired before anybody else in the Pac-12. That was my thought. And uh, that hasn't come to fruition, at least not yet. Yeah, I, I, I had a suspicion he'd be on thin ice coming into this year, but I didn't think he had the hottest seat in the conference because he hasn't been there for too long. And, and the way I look at any given coaching situation where you're asking a question about the head coach is, what program is he at and what are the expectations there? Because he came into Colorado and they were down, right? They've been down since they joined the Pac-12. That's just a reality. That's what their brand, reputation, and results all say about the Buffaloes for the last uh, 11 years since they joined the, the our beloved Conference of Champions. But I look at that and say, I don't expect it to be a one or two year turnaround. But by year three, and this is really year two and a half, which is why I wasn't you know, quite on the Carl Durrell is going to be the first coach that's relieved of his duties coming into the season. I, I figured it'd be Herm. I thought it would last a little longer and we're going to get to Herm here in, in just a moment. But when you're at a program like Colorado, you have to be given time. And I didn't think Colorado would be good this year, but I didn't think they would necessarily jump to let go of Carl Durrell. But it's looked worse than the record even indicates, right? We are talking about with UCLA. You're not where your record says you are. UCLA doesn't look like a true 3-0 football team right now. And we'll see how they play against Colorado this week and Washington the following. But I think when you look at Colorado... You, you have to be willing to be patient because you're not going to recruit at a high level. And in the last 10, 15 years, there's not a rich tradition of winning. So I'm willing to be patient. But the reason that I think the intensity on his hot seat is elevating, in my view, is because of how bad it's been. I mean, they're playing these games, Zach, and they're getting trounced. They are not competitive except for the first half against TCU, who eventually pulled away and won by however many points, like they covered a more than double-digit spread in Boulder. And and that's that's just been the theme. The offense has been anemic. Again, they don't have an answer at quarterback. The defense has not been good. Like, nothing is encouraging. And when you're struggling, and I'm willing to give you time, I'm still looking for some positive trends, but I just haven't seen them with, with Colorado, which is why I think he, unless they start playing more competitive football, I don't think he'll make it to uh, the end of the season, but we'll see how that plays out. To close here, Zach, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Herm Edwards, who I think we all agree needed to be let go. Like It was never disastrous in the four previous years. It was full of middling results, but you lose to Eastern Michigan at home. That's disastrous, and that's the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I agree with that with that particular decision. What do you think about it and his tenure as a whole? And most importantly, where should they be looking for their next head coach? I thought the Herm Edwards hiring was shocking, to say the least. In the first, oh, in, yeah. the, in the beginning, I was like, Herm Edwards? I, I, I grew up with Herm Edwards as a TV personality. I know he's got prior, you know, but like me being a young, young buck, I thought, <laughs> I, I'm used to him. Hey, why, why isn't he just talking football and TV? That's what I'm used to, you know. And then he Jim Tebow, hired. good football player, good football player. <laughs> so I, it was weird when he got hired. And what, I remember there was that weird interaction when he was with this talking to a student newspaper with the media. And he's like, well, why do you guys call yourself the devil newspaper or something? It's like, well, their mascots, the sun devils. And it just seemed like clearly that he wasn't really understanding where he was at in Tempe, Arizona State, 
the Sun Devils as a whole, who have had some very good success before Hem Edwards got there, right? They had some good Pac-12 success. Um, you know, with the U- as a UCLA fan, they've clashed in previous regimes against ASU. But I thought the hiring itself was questionable in the beginning. Didn't really think ASU as a, a true factor, despite them ruining some Bruins seasons in years previous. But I, I didn't really think of them as a factor other than like, oh, is Herm Edwards finally on the clock doing our schedule outlook? My my buddy and I, my guest co-host, we were joking. Oh, he'll be on the hot seat when UCLA goes to Tempe, and that's probably why they'll lose. Well, no, he's gone week three, and the the way it went so quickly was was stunning. With the with the you know the accusations, them kind of looking into the program a little more. I thought that was shocking. I thought Herm Edwards would have a little more control of his program, but it just it just seemed questionable from the beginning seemed odd in the middle and just still seems puzzling at the end. I can't even wrap my head around it. What, what can you really say about Herm Edwards? It's, it's just a weird tenure in ASU football. I think that's. Yeah. And I mean, he won a decent amount of football games, but like you said, they were good, capable of playing spoiler, but not good enough to get to that next level, which is why after an embarrassing loss like that, you you move on. So where, where would you be looking for, for coaches if you're the Sun Devils? I mean, who? it depends what they view themselves as, right? Because the Pac-12 is holding on, barely. So does someone want to go to Tempe? Are they going to go young and pull upward? Like, are they looking down from, you know, like, I don't know where you could, where you could go. Maybe, maybe I, I thought of this, South Alabama's coach is actually the youngest FBS coach. He's 35, and he almost beat UCL in the Rose Bowl. Kane Womack. Ah, that could be an interesting guy. I thought he could be a guy that can be the next young guy interesting he got a lot of d1 transfers coming into south alabama he's got an acc starting running back or a little bit with a damian webb he got a some d1 lineman in there to really move and push the ucla d line back so maybe a kane womack if you want to look down that you know it just depends are you looking more level and it depends where asu thinks they are as an administration as a football program are they looking with rose color glasses sun devil color glasses you know or are they looking a little too high and someone's going to throw a name like, oh, Dave Aranda? No, that's that's not going to happen. No, no, you're not going to get but, that. But it's like, are they going to look high? Are they going to look something that's out of their league? Or are they going to look at something like, oh, like a Womack, who I think would be an interesting hire? I hadn't heard that name before. And this is why I love discussing coaching searches, because I, I have people in mind who I've thought of it as potential candidates. But then other people say, what about this guy? Right? What, what about him? What about him? I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Look into his past a little. Here's things like youngest head coach in the country maybe that's where that's a direction where they'd want to go i feel like it'll either be the name we know really well you you know and this won't come to fruition for a couple months most likely but it'll either be a name we know really well or someone who comes completely out of the blue i don't think it'll be anywhere in anywhere in between because i i agree with what you said arizona state has a chance to you know understand what their brand is like outside of their program, but also what they think of inside their program and the caliber of coach that they're that they're able to to go out and get. Zach Anderson Yoxheimer is the host of Locked On UCLA Bruins on YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcasts. He is at Zach underscore and underscore Yox, Y-O-X on Twitter. Go check him out. Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.